Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's episode of Hear That Podcast Growling, presented by Visa Network Working for Everyone. Paul Andrew Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic are in Indianapolis at the NFL Scouting Combine working for you. Jay, the bench press is right behind you. It Come is. On. Come on. Get, put the 225 on the racks and let's see it. I hurt myself putting lotion on my back this morning, so <laughs> I am not getting anywhere near the bench press. All I'm saying is uh, it's just it's there. No one's on it except for the cameras, which will be running. I feel like maybe it might be time to take a chance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say medically I'm not cleared for that yet. Still, my back issue, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait to do that at my pro day. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not going to go on that. But we're here in Indy. Uh, it's exciting. Uh, it's exciting to be back into the off-season mode. I guess uh, it's a very it's a very different thing. Still, it's still funny. You know, everybody we come across here in Indianapolis, and I'm sure the coaches for the Bengals and the staff kind of feel the same way. You see people that you haven't haven't seen in a couple of years now because we haven't been here since uh, I was asking Joe Burrow if right. he's going to be cool playing for the Bengals. And I mean, that seems like an eternity ago. But, you know, you see so many people and everybody, hey, how about that season? You know, I mean, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's got to be the exact same for the Bengals. There's still kind of a feel of, uh, you know, the bells of the ball a little bit as uh, Zach Taylor and Duke Tobin spoke yesterday and uh, are, you know, still are kind of, it's, they're, they're a centerpiece of the conversation in a very different way than they were two years ago. Yes, absolutely. And we, I saw that at the Senior Bowl, the, the way that the, the, those guys were all getting – because the, the scouting community is so tight-knit, and they were getting a lot of congratulations down there. And I imagine it is the same thing here with the coaches and, um, and, and everybody, the scouts, the agents, everybody here, they all talk. And it is. It's, it's totally different. I mean, that, that 2020 Combine, one of the greatest quotes we've ever heard at this place with Duke Tobin saying he prays for those people yeah. <laughs> that were criticizing them. For, or criticizing them for thinking they could fix or they could do something with Joe Burrow. And they, he, the, the prayers worked because they did it. They got it done. They got to a Super Bowl. Um, you're, it, it's great. I mean, we're together again here after a week off. I don't know. What, what Disney ride would you say the Combine equates to? <laughs> well, you know what it is? Uh, the Combine, here, here's, here's, here's what it is. Okay, so the Combine as a whole is all show very, in the su- so people don't even realize where the substance actually is. Yeah. So I would say uh, the Combine is really the equivalent. It's not even a ride. It's not even a park. It's the hotel pool. 
<laughs> okay, because everybody thinks you go to Disney to go to the parks and ride the rides. When in actuality, when you got kids, the time you spent at the hotel pool was really what matters. So here, the glitz and the glamour of the 40 and of the bench press and of all these interviews, really, no. The hotel pool is the medical checks <laughs> that everybody comes around. That's what they really end up taking about. That's what they'll really be talking about in three months. Not the ride or when they went and my daughter took a picture of Cinderella rather than trying to say hello to her for some reason. Uh, you know, and, but it, yeah, that's, I think that's what I'd have to say. It's, it's the real substance is the stuff you don't even really think about. And thanks to everybody that had patience as we uh, took some time to yeah. recharge uh, after the season ended. It was the longest season anyone's ever done, 21 weeks True. Uh, in the regular season. It had been a long ride, and we had the combine ride on the corner, so we needed to kind of take a quick break. Thanks to everybody that, uh, you know, that, that was patient. And we are back now, though, not slowing down in the least. We've got a lot to get to, Jay, because the Bengals, a centerpiece of the conversation. Uh, it started with the moment Duke Tobin stepped to the, co- to the combine podium yesterday, and it will not relent no. probably until, I don't know, July? Man, I don't know when it will ever relent. Years? Uh, and that is, how on earth is this team going to fix the offensive line? That is here today. We are going to go forward on that thrust because it has been the centerpiece of the conversations we've had with Duke Tobin, with Zach Taylor, that we will continue to have throughout this weekend, on, off the record, behind the scenes, uh, with, with everybody in the organization, to try to get a real feel for where this thing's going to go. The bottom line is... I want to start here. I'm going to start with Duke Tobin. I'm going to start with what he said when he opened up and stood on the podium and said, hey, it's good to see everybody. And what did we say in response? Let's talk about your line. <laughs> Here's Duke Tobin at the kind of his podium thing where he literally opened the conversation with his data points. Yes. I think the first question was on offensive line. Yeah, addressing that head into the draft. Yeah, uh, like every position on our team, we always will uh, look at it and see how we can improve. Uh, you know, I, I know it's a big story. Uh, I know that uh, they've taken some heat, but I'll just give you some data points that uh, I, I think are worth considering. You know, we had two receivers go over a thousand, and a third get close. We had a running back go over a thousand yards. Our quarterback was first or second in the league in passing rating we're a top 10 scoring team and I think we're a top 10 uh, yards per play team and so the five guys up front uh, that's all on them too and so there's there's a lot more to it than uh, just the sack numbers Um, you know we we weren't the only ones to get uh, sacked by Tennessee and Oakland and Kansas City and and especially the Rams so uh, those, those guys did a lot of good work this year and, um, but in terms of an analysis and whether we can improve, you know, we're, we're obviously going to look to improve, but, but it's not just that position. We'll, we'll look to improve everywhere. We're not going to be satisfied with where we were. We feel good about where we are. Uh, we feel like we got the building blocks to, uh, to be a perennial uh, contender. But, um, you know, with that position, it'll be like every other position. We'll see what's available to us. When you look at the path forward on the interior of the line, potentially, you addressed it last year in the draft. Carmen, Smith, Hill. Where do you feel like those guys are at? How much do you feel like they can be a big part of the solution or whatever the path is going yeah. forward? The questions on our young linemen and where they're, where they're at. The, the playing experience they got will be invaluable. And, and often offensive linemen make their biggest jump from year one after feeling the intensity of the NFL and playing against NFL guys. And believe me, they played against good 
NFL players. So they'll carry that forward, and that will be a real benefit going into year two with, with some of these guys. And so uh, we're, we're bullish on those guys. We don't think that uh, they're throwaways by any stretch. And, you know, they're all AFC champions, so they got that going for them. Dude, kind of following up on what Paul talked about, uh, you know, the evolution of the offensive line in college, how different is it maybe as opposed to maybe 10 years ago? When it, does, it take, does it take longer for, you know, a college offensive line if you get yeah, the questions on um, the, the changes in the college game and how that's affected uh, offensive line play coming out of college. And, and I think there's some merit to that, Jeff. I, I really do. I think that's a good question. Um, you know, the, there's, there's less, uh, well, it, it depends on what college you're looking at. But there, there are a lot of colleges that throw the ball a lot and the ball's out quick. And so some of the techniques that we're using in, in some of our game, you don't really get to view a lot on the college uh, level. And they come in and there's different techniques that they've got to learn. And sometimes there's a, there's a learning curve. Some guys do it a little faster than others. But really, truly, it's the speed of the game, the strength of the game, the physicality of the game, and the fact that uh, you're not, you're not one year older or two years older than the guy you're playing or one year younger or two years sometimes you're eight years you know you're 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 a 22 year old guy playing against a 31 year old uh vet and and so the this, this the game is it doesn't translate right away to the big guys because it, it's it takes time for those guys to get the uh, strength and speed of the game you know jay the funny thing about that is not only did Duke Tobin do that, Zach Taylor brought out the data points with us as well when we were talking to him. I believe it was on the side session we were kind of talking to him after, after he was done on the podium. And clearly the data points are part of their conversation that they're having internally. How do yep. you interpret the use of data points being, hey, the good that happened, those are those five linemen stats too. Not just the sacks. Yes, the sacks are bad. Yes, issues are, are here. Yes, it needs to be better. But there has to be ownership over the fact that these guys did enough good things to make all the rest of that stuff happen. Where, where, where are you, what do you take away from that? There's some validity to it because it is. It's, it's right. And it was, it was, Zach mentioned it. He, Duke mentioned it first question. His first question was about the O-line. Zach, someone asked him about picking 31st instead of 5th, and then the second question was about the O-line on the podium, and he went into it, and then he went into it again on the side session with us. And it's, I mean, there is some validity to it, but I, I think it, it's it's more deflecting. It's that they're, For a team that made such a great run and a surprising run to the Super Bowl, and it feels like there's more criticism than praise, because they nearly got their franchise quarterback killed. And so I, I feel like they're, they're more defensive than normally you would be after a season like that. And I think that's what that was. Because they're not just addressing the Cincinnati media that followed the whole arc of the season. There's, there's, there's national people here. There's people that cover other teams. I, I think either Duke... I think it was Duke. When Duke was on the podium, he was all alone. There was nobody on any other podium. So he had the entire room's attention. And I think that's what a lot of that was is, hey, it's, it's not as bad. It's not as dire as it, as it appears. And, oh, by the way, we did do some good things this year. You did. And, and you know, 70 sacks. 
<laughs> you can't color it's, that. You just, you know, there's only so many ways you can say, hey, but hey, but hey, <laughs> you know, we made the Super Bowl. Yeah, but 70 sacks, a, a double that basically hits yep. taken. I mean, you know, it's, I, he, I think there's, a, there's two aspects to this. Yes, it's deflecting. Yes, it's pointing out where, what, what they're proud of. And they are, you have to be proud of their guys and the work that they did do. I do understand. Mm-hmm. It's also saying, I'm not going to stand here and say I'm willing to pay whatever it takes to get a free agent offensive lineman. You need to show that you have leverage in these conversations. And that is, we still believe in our guys, and that's part of it, which is why I made sure to include the second part of that with Duke, which is where I asked him about, look, what is the role of the guys you drafted last year in the potential future plan? Because, look, at some point... You have to, in this, there's just, as he said, there's not enough guys to go around to all these teams where you got to count on the people that you have placed a chip on to grow and mature. And here's where I equate it to. And when we talk about Jackson Carmen in the second round, Deontay Smith in the fourth, and Trey Hill in the sixth from last year, this is the linebacker conversation from last year. Mm hmm. When, the, when everybody said, are you going to draft linebackers or how are you going to fix linebacker, their comment was, we did. We did draft linebackers. We drafted three of them. And so we are going to count on them. And so this year, we did draft offensive linemen. We drafted three of them. And we have to count on them this year to be something. Now, I'm not saying that they're counting on them to start. But at a certain point, they're counting on somebody to develop and mature. You hear Duke Tobin. Mm -hmm. From the first year to the second year, particularly in the trenches, he sees that. He sees that as the biggest jump that any position basically can make because just the sheer power and athleticism of the trenches is jarring for rookies at this level. Clearly, you know, if you believe in that, and that's how he feels about it, yeah, you're counting in some respect on one of those three guys at least to fill a role at a position because they did draft for it and they are bullish on them and don't see them as throwaway pieces. There's, there's two points to that. One is you hear coaches say all the time you get to about halfway in a season and they're like, oh, they're not rookies anymore. They, this is, we're in it now. But the, so they should be used to this, the speed and the size by that point. But you can't transform your body mid-season like that. You're too in it. Remember last year, T. Higgins, what he came, how different he looked when he came back after after that rookie year. That's what you're counting on for these young guys to 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 work on their bodies to get themselves in the best shape possible. Clearly, Jackson Carmen was not in good shape <laughs> when he came in Understatement this podcast. year, and that's that's. That's too much to catch up. Once it, it's almost like dehydration. Once you start feeling dehydrated, it's too late. You need that work needs to be done before you play in the heat, and so I, I think that is a big part of it. And the other piece here is even if you're counting on those guys, remember what they did with linebackers. They they drafted three, but they also went and signed Josh Bynes, a veteran. And you can argue how effective he was as a player. But he was a huge part in terms of leadership and teaching those guys how to be professionals and helping transform this entire locker room. So I still think even if you're, if you're going to draft, you spend a bunch of draft picks, they still need to go get a veteran offensive lineman. And it does, they don't have to be 
Taron Armstead or these these the most expensive guys on the market, but they need to go get some veteran guys out there. Another Riley Reef, somebody like that that can, that can teach this young O line how to be professionals, how to go about their jobs outside of the sixty minutes they're on the field in games. Let's talk about that. So free agency is up next, and where does this? I'll say this right now: they're signing offensive linemen. Period. Yeah. They're and they're going to spend. A significant chunk of money on offensive line men, not man. Right. There will be multiple brought in. I I fully believe minimum, in my best guess, is that it'll end up being two starters. Free agent offensive linemen will be here. Now, that is under the assumption of Trey Hopkins being let go. Yes. Uh, as, you know, he's coming off the ACL. He crossed 30. It's a $6 million cap hit that you can save and use elsewhere it it's tough it this business sucks man because mm. trey hopkins doesn't deserve that as a person for all he did to come back last year and it's tough but you know what that's the biz it's it's tough they're going to be in the they're going to be looking for four spots they're, they're they got jonah williams are going to be in at left tackle you know we talked to people about you know could you move jonah Right, and that's been a conversation. I don't think they have any desire to. Mm-hmm. They didn't certainly didn't sound like they had any desire to. And they felt like he was fine and competent, and they could trust the left side of the line more than more than enough. Okay, so I think you're looking at you're looking at the premium positions for this team. We know their history. We know they don't value guard the same way. Mm-hmm. Right tackle and center. Right, I think that's where you're looking at is free agent center, free agent right tackle. And then you're filling in the gaps at guard, not at such a high level. Yeah. But, you know, the question becomes, who are those right tackles? I don't, you know, there's not a lot out there right now. Maybe cap casualties happen. You wrote about that last week. People can go back and read that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some names that maybe you could see happen there. But, you know, they're, I don't see that. You know, Armstead, a guy with injury history who's over $30, $20 million, no. that's not going to be the type of thing they're going to do. You know, they're... They're going to look for somebody they're not they're willing to spend if it's a guy who's you know twenty six who's in his prime who doesn't have injury history who can be a premium player they're going to go for I think they're big spends at center I think it's Jensen or or Bozeman uh, from Baltimore mm-hmm. uh, Bradley Bozeman or Ryan Jensen from Tampa Bay both guys who have played in this division they love guys that have played in this division because they feel like the division is different that position in particular. Um, and, you know, Ben Jones from Tennessee also would be more of a stopgap because he's a little older, but, you know, another guy, prove it. To me, that's, I think, maybe where their big sign comes from. Yeah, well, it makes sense. They, I mean, the last two centers they've drafted have not worked out. They, they traded up to get Russell Bodine. That, that didn't work out. They, they take Billy Price in the first round, he injured here at the Combine. That never worked out. They ended up trading him. If you're, if you're going to go out and, and get spend big, that's the position to do it. You're right about the tackles because you, if you're going to take a young guy, he's more number one. Younger's always better, but he's going to be better able to switch to the right. You could get a left tackle, a left free agent tackle, and switch him to the right. You get a guy, a veteran like Riley Reef. It's it's hard to move those guys that late in their career. He did though. He did, but it was it, it's not ideal. I mean, he 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 played well enough, but you want a young guy that can go over there and be that co-anchor with with Jonah Williams and it it just 
I don't know. I haven't looked enough at what other teams need centers, but it feels like the the bidding war is going to be crazier at tackle than it would be at center. And we've seen this team kind of stick to their guns a lot, even though they've got all this money to spend and they're, and they're committed to getting guys. Once the bidding starts happen, they talked about it yesterday. You, you can't overpay for a guy. He, he, it, just because you pay more for him doesn't mean you're going to get that from him. And, and I could see them tapping out if some of those tackles get crazy value or get crazy offers from other teams. Whereas center, it feels like they are what they are. I don't know that there's a lot of teams searching for centers in free agency, and, and that would be the better way to go, especially because you get a veteran there and replace a veteran. Trey Hopkins is now the veteran on that line. He is that guy, and, and maybe he comes back. Maybe they off, they cut him, he comes back on a cheaper salary. But that that makes the most sense, and it, it, it feels like the, you, you see busts a lot in free agency on the O-line, on the edge, on tackle. Centers just feel like a more reliable, more of a sure bet. You go, you go spend for a guy you know what you're getting. Especially guys that have played in this division. Yes. <laughs> yeah, played well in this division for multiple years. Bozeman, Jensen, and who, is, who played for Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. and Tom Brady, all that stuff. I think Jensen will be on the more expensive end. Maybe they're willing to go there. No donkeys, right? Yep. We've, we've, we've been talking about this. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd love to go back and find out when is the first time we ever referenced this? Because I feel like we, you know, we're seeing now uh, Daniel Jeremiah referenced no tomato cans yeah. on, and his conference call, and I feel like there maybe should be some some trademark infringement involved with this. <laughs> like we've been talking about this for years here, uh, but I, I actually kind of specifically asked Duke Tobin about the no donkeys philosophy, which is. Look, it's not as important that you have stars. It's more important you have no liabilities. The Bengals had a bunch of liabilities, and that's part of the problem. It's not about having, you know, twenty million a $20 million player. It's about having four or $5 million players so that you don't have any true liabilities, not necessarily in how much you pay them, but in the level that they play at. Here is me talking to Duke Tobin about that because I think it relates directly into the rest of the free agency and draft conversation. Philosophically, when it comes to offensive line in general, you know, the thought of you'd love to have five stars, but that's probably not realistic. Is it more important to make sure you don't have any liabilities than it is that you have stars on the offensive line that that will play together? It's such a tough position to play, and, uh, and, and they're playing against such great athletes, and there aren't enough superstars and top level guys to go around to 32 teams. There just aren't. And uh, there's not enough to service all the colleges. It's just a very demanding, tough position. It's big athletes, and those are the rarest people on the uh, on the planet. So, yes, we want big athletes, uh, but we know that uh, they're hard to come by and hard to find, and, and you know, that's our job to try to get the best ones that are available to us. I, mean, that can, I guess that can be a part of a free agent or draft philosophy too is is it's not about spending 20 million dollars on one guy right. if you could have four guys for five is that right. maybe a better idea well and if you do spend the big money you better be worth it you know you better be <laughs> worth it that better be reflective of what he's going to give you trey hendrickson yeah. you know if you're going to pay him that much make sure he's worth it or at yeah. least you know he has the ability to be worth it, and, uh, and he was. And, and, you know, the, those are that's what you want. You can't control injuries. Some guys come in and get hurt, and there's nothing you can do about that. You know, Carl uh, Lawson might have had a great year this year. Who knows? He and he got hurt. It was unfortunate for them. But um, 
you know, Trey came in, stayed healthy, and produced, and that's what you want to see. Are there any reservations about spending that kind of money on offensive linemen? If you feel like you know you're going to get If we feel we're going to get the value out of it, and we feel that there's a, uh, a fit and uh, an upgrade for our football team, then, you know, we'll, we'll try to make whatever we can happen. So there it is. The Trey Hendrickson name gets brought up. Mm-hmm. Okay? And that is, yeah, we're going to place a value on a player. He better be worth it. If you're going to place a $15 million value or whatever it is on a player, it better be worth it. Are you willing to spend it on an offensive lineman? Yeah, if they view it as worth it. I don't look at the guys that are out there that will be those getting the big money and necessarily see them as fits where they think they are worth it. Maybe there's some. Uh, but I think, you know, and, and maybe that's the center. I don't know. But you're talking tackles. Is What is Morgan Moses worth? Mm-hmm. A guy who was available in, like, June or July last year. I mean, what are the guys that are being thrown out there at, at tackle? What are, what are those guys really worth? Um, I don't know. But I think you heard them. I don't Reading the tea leaves of, the, of what he was saying there, it sounded more like, yeah, wh- yeah, it's not about stars mm-hmm. for us there. And, and it's, it's going to be about you're going to pay big if you really feel like you're getting the value out of that. And we know they don't feel like they get the value out of guards to make their team better that would offset where they could go elsewhere. Tackle, center. I mean, they paid Trey Hopkins, who's mm-hmm. the first guy they extended. They paid him $6 million per. So obviously they're willing to pay that spot. Guards, we know they're not, which is interesting. Because when you now go across the line, and I want to get back to right tackle in a second, um, let me actually let me, let me talk about Riley Reef because you mentioned him. Yeah, and look, because people have been asking, what about Riley Reef? He's he's thirty three. He has he has nothing left to prove, right? He just came through a bear of a season where he had an ankle injury. There's there, I don't get sense there's any real concern about his ankle injury, um, but I think he's considering retirement, and I and. Because, of, of course, you played 11 years in this league, offensive line. Like, that crap is tough. You just came through a grinder of a season, and you're trying to play through injury. Like, that crap is tough. And I think the team is evaluating, you know, are, are you willing to put Riley Reef back out there as a starter if he's really feeling – maybe he comes back, maybe he thinks about it, and he is refreshed, and you know what, I'm ready to give it a go. I want to win a title here, and I, I, I'll do it. And maybe the team says, sounds good. Both sides have to have to feel that way, and I don't know that it's going to end there. So maybe Riley Reef is still an option, but I don't think it's front and center. And I think there's a, there's certainly a chance that we hear, and it's a, it's his decision. I mean, it's, mm. it's something he's got to figure out for himself. How long do you want to do this? How much do you like it? I mean, we just saw Ali Marpet. Yeah. At 28, I mean, it's the same thing. It's, what, what do you got to prove? This game is tough. Do you want to be able to walk when you're? If you can walk away knowing you feel good and your knees are good and your and your head is good, it, it, playing in this league, how long do you really want to do this? Not everybody's Andrew Whitworth. The thing is, Allie Marpet has a ring, yeah. and Riley Reef came this close to getting one. And I, I, outside of money, I don't think there's anything that motivates these guys like that—that that chance to win a title. And he knows how close he is. And yes, it's a grind, and you're going to have to work your ass off. But they bring him back on a on a cheap deal. And maybe he is that backup swing tackle that he's clipboard guy on the sideline. Is that what Riley Reef wants to be? Well, I mean, 
if if you're concerned about getting beat up, I mean, I mean, he probably will compete and he will try to win the job. But if he doesn't win it, being that veteran presence in the room and and a leader from from the sideline and not getting your body beat up and still having a shot to win a ring, that's not a that's not a bad proposition. You're not the one that's played 11 years. Well, I know it's easy for us to say because <laughs> we don't go through that right, grind. Yeah. But it, 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 I, I could, I don't know. I have not talked to him, but I could see him wanting that, knowing that he's this close to winning a championship. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm, and we'll we'll see where that comes out. But for people who say we'll just bring back Riley Reef, the point being that is not a simple decision. That, right. is, that is a complicated decision that has both sides having to figure some things out. Um, so to guard, um, you know, we know where their values stand. It, to me, it's where the most interesting players that could fit them lie. Mm-hmm. Lakin Tomlinson, you know, wide zone, San Francisco, same stuff, been really good. Are you going to have to break the bank with him? For them, they never pay guards. They've no. never paid guards any real money. They lowballed Kevin Zeitler last year and lost out on him when he was an obvious fit that would have helped them. Would they have won the Super Bowl with Kevin Zeitler? Probably. They, they would have converted fourth and one. Yeah. <laughs> they were trying to run right behind, not Kevin Zeitler. <laughs> and so, you know, it, where at what point are you, do you change that philosophy? You don't get the sense of changing, but maybe they feel like, you know, it's not necessarily Quentin Spain level. Where I mean, Quinn Spain was a vet men last year. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's a guy who makes three or four million. You know, maybe it's a guy like Ted Karras who's out there from New England. Was mm-hmm. spent a little bunch of years in New England. You know, who's viewed as he probably your fourth or fifth best lineman. He's a really high end backup. He's played a bunch of years. Solid. He's not old though. Twenty eight, twenty nine. Played for championships. That could be a guy. Who's sort of like I think how they envisioned Xavier Suafilo a couple years ago right. as like man you're 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 okay he's a vet you could definitely play and you're in really great shape if he's your backup right who is a fail safe if these kids cannot develop because at a certain point you need a really strong fail safe if the kids don't develop and I, the question to me is how how aggressive will they be in that spot can they get will they sign a three and a four million dollar guard on one side. And a three and four million dollar guard slash fail safe on the other side, or they just leave that to the kids for development. What does that look like? I, to me, that again is probably the most interesting part of this whole puzzle because I do think you have history and precedent to understand that Jonah spend at center, right tackle, all makes sense. But again, like, what does this guard situation look like? Are they going to give Jackson Carmen another chance? Does it depend on if he comes back looking sloppy? Does it depend on Deontay Smith kind of making good on some of the early signs that he showed last year? That's going to be what we'll all learn in real time. Yeah, I don't have a problem with them saying they have faith in those guys, but you, you better have a backup plan. Because there is no guarantee that those guys are going to develop into what you want them to be. And that's where, you're right, they, they other than Clint Bowling, they, they just, and he, they didn't pay him a ton, but they mil. did, yeah, they gave him an, another contract. They just don't pay guards, but they have. They, Eric Steinbeck, you go way back. Kevin Zeitler, they took in the first round. Picking 31st really lends itself to that position. Interior, maybe, maybe if they don't sign us a, a center in 
in free agency and, and go the guard route instead and, and buck their own trend than either guard or center. That is that is an ideal spot, especially this year. There, there could be six or seven tackles off the board by the time they pick at 31 and maybe one center and one guard. They're, they're going to have good options there. And if, it, if something happens where maybe a couple interior guys go more than they expected, that's another great spot to trade back. That's, they love trading back and getting more picks. And, and we, we saw when they picked 33 two years ago that that, that range, 31, 32, 33, there's a lot of interest there. People are really looking to move up at that spot. So they, they could get a nice haul there if they traded that one. I, I don't know about Jackson Carmen. I, I, I think you look at the shape he came in, switching positions. There was just so many things working against him. You, you hope the light goes on. There, there's been reports of he was kind of the same way in high school. He, he could dominate yeah. people without trying. He went to Clemson and played left tackle, was Trevor Lawrence's blindside blocker. A huge step up, but he still – had, he could get by on talent alone. You can't do that at this level. So it, it's going to be on him. It's it, Frank, hopefully his point, the tough love, sets in, and, and Jackson Carmen has his terrific offseason and comes back. But right now you just don't know, and that's why you have to have a backup plan. So I'm glad you mentioned offensive You have some stats, right? How many offensive linemen have been taken before 31 in the last 10 drafts? The last 10, yes. Okay, so because you know, people look at the lists. Here's the list of the top offensive linemen in this draft, and you know there's all these tackles. So what are those numbers? So it's it's crazy the range. In the last ten drafts, it picks one through thirty. There have been as many as eight offensive linemen taken. In 2017, there was one offensive lineman <laughs> taken in the first thirty. It was Garrett Bowles. Yeah. Um, last year there was five. The year before seven, and the in 2019 five, 2018 six. So that's what you're looking at. That five, six, seven range. And I'd mentioned it a little bit ago. Most of those, as is usually the case, are going to be tackles. They they are going to have guards and centers. And they've got the Smith kid from Tulsa who played tackle, but uh, Daniel Jeremiah on his conference call loves him as a guard and. and being an athletic guy in there that would fit well in a zone scheme, he's another option where you, I don't know if they want to go that route again and take a tackle and convert him to guard, but they're, they're, they're going to have great options at 31. And who knows? Maybe they go out and they sign three starters in free agency and they, and they go cornerback in the first round. But it, right now it feels like what you said, sign two starters and then get another one that can compete and maybe he doesn't start. This year, your thirty-one number thirty-one pick, but he's in position to be a starter for your future. Interesting note of something that Duke Tobin said yesterday. He it, it stuck out to me. He said, you know, people asking him. Actually, the question was funny. It was like, uh, so you're not used to picking at this spot. Like you usually suck. And it was like he's like, you know, you said to me like, all right, I got enough. You know, but it was the point. He said, what is the difference between picking in this spot? And his point was, you know, you. You are picking a little bit more for need. You, your universe mm-hmm. is wider. You, you know, of the players are all going to have. A, you're going to have ten guys with the same grade as opposed to at five. Uh, yeah, maybe this isn't as much of a need, but this guy is a higher grade. That means more. At thirty-one, you fill more. You mentioned T. Higgins. Mm-hmm. You know, filling positional need just like they did that year, which says to me, offensive line or corner. I mean, and we don't know what's going to happen in free agency, but so. You know, a guy like Canyon Green from Texas A&M, a guy like Zion Johnson from Boston College, guards. We, 
they have drafted there before. So if you're looking for maybe the draft fills in to give you that insurance policy, where, okay, well, here comes another guy into that mix because we're not totally set. Let's, let's flood the market. Mm. Somebody's got to be good, right? <laughs> like, how many young guys can we draft and one of them not be good? I think maybe that becomes either there or then at, you know, 63 or whatever. Mm. It, it, maybe it, one of those two spots brings another young player into the mix and you say, all right, all of you, somebody be good enough to start win this job, and that becomes the you know the other spot or spots. Um, I I think that's a very real uh, option, and, and I'm with you. I think guard in particular fits there. I I think they would be far more reluctant to draft a tackle and try to start him right away. I mean, we just yeah. heard we just heard Duke Tobin talk about. Hey, like it takes a year. It takes so the idea of now in your main core window putting a rookie out on a position that you have high value in doesn't make sense. I think you're much more likely to see them go that guard route at 31, and certainly if they don't at 31 at the back end of that second round. Yeah, and they talk about all positions, but especially O line. There's not that the elite talent isn't there this year. It's a nice class as far as depth and having the different options. So, yes, if you're taking a tackle at 31, he's probably the fifth or sixth best in a class that's not an elite class. That's not somebody you want to throw in as a starter in year one. And another thing, I don't want to jump too far ahead. I know we're going to get to news later, but that's a big reason what you talked about, flooding the market. That's why they hired a third offensive line coach. You, you get three guys in that room now with Derek Frazier, and you can have one guy kind of just focus on the young guys and developing them and, and just the, 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 the more the better. And that, that was another – that's – people talk about all the time the Bengals not spending money and they, they focus on players. That's, that's part of it. They went, they went and got James Betcher, who wasn't cheap, and, and they went and got a, a third offensive line coach, which they've never had before. They are investing already even before free agency begins. James Betcher was uh, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for a inside the locker room uh, stand on the table for a guy like Lakin Tomlinson, mm-hmm. knows who he is, knows what he was in that locker room, certainly knows everybody there. Not that they can't get that other, but having a, somebody now on your team who right. is inside that room, if you're looking, if you're like Team Tomlinson, Team <laughs> Invest in Guard, they're going to make history they're going to change their stripes right uh i mean heck they've gone to the super bowl why not change now uh if you're on that maybe james betcher is somebody who you're looking at even though he's on the other side of the ball um that could could help push that case along let's hop into some news um things non-offensive line let's all take a break (laughs) everyone breathe exhale it just enjoy the fruits of the Super Bowl for a second and not think about how the hell are they going to protect Joe Burrow. Um, And let's talk about other news. Jesse Bates um, is kind of the big other piece here. We're we're in that window now. We're heading up on the next Tuesday is the deadline. God, we're so far in the offseason. I know. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Next Tuesday is the deadline for franchise tag. And so, you know, they will place it on him if they don't have a long-term deal done. It's, but right now, over the next week, it's meeting time. Mm-hmm. It's, they're back at the table with Jesse Bates and, and his camp and trying to get that long-term deal done to sign, sign him up, and, and we'll see if they do by the deadline. And if not, then they'll place the tag on him. 
it's in their interest to do it and not put – I mean, getting that done and knowing where you stand going into free agency is, is a big advantage. Now, they're, they're not going to – they're not going to do something they wouldn't do normally. I don't know how far apart they are right now, but they, they made it clear. And the, Duke Tobin and Zach Taylor are in the same boat that all of you guys are listening. They want Jesse Bates back, but it, it's, it's got to be at the right price. They're going to tag him. So he's he's gonna he's unless he holds out, which I can't see him turning down thirteen and a half million dollars. Maybe he holds out in OTAs and, and training camp, that type of thing. I I can't imagine him holding out next year because he gets franchise tagged. Can, can I can I do my Michael Johnson thing that I do every yes. year? <laughs> every year at the franchise tag, I go back to the same conversation <laughs> I had when they franchise tagged Michael Johnson, who's one of my favorite people ever to play for the Bengals. And we asked him, would you play into the tag? And he just kind of looked at us cockeyed and said, I'm from Selma, Alabama. <laughs> You think I'm going to turn down $11.5 million? <laughs> You're not turning down the tag for safety projected at $13 million for mm-hmm. Jesse Bates. Like, you're not turning down $13 million. Um, again, I, people, I think, want to make this complicated. I don't think it's very complicated. I think they're going to try to get the deal done here. They Maybe they do. Yeah. I think there's a good chance they do. If not, they will tag him. One year's 13, they will hit that July 15th, whatever it is, deadline, and, tr- and try to get the deal done there. And maybe that is where it gets done. But you have those two deadlines to watch and where this thing will really be knocked out, and everybody will be happy, and Jesse Bates will be happy, and they'll pay him. I think they wanted to see the second season. Like, I don't, and I, and I still would have paid him last year, but I understand wanting to see it one more time. Now they yeah. saw it one more time. Yeah. So now last year's conversation and criticisms, which were fair at the time, are even fairer now if they don't now. It's like, at what point are you not investing in your core leadership, in your best players, in your who's Duke Tobin literally called a success story yesterday? Mm-hmm. At what point are you not investing in those guys in their prime? Now is the time to do it, and that might mean making him the highest paid safety. Uh, are they willing to go there? I guess we'll find out, and everyone's kind of interested to see where that goes, but I, it, there is almost there is basically zero scenario where Jesse Bates is not right. under contract for the Bengals next year. Period. Ever, sorry, other thirty-one teams who are <laughs> looking at the free agent list not happening. Um, so that's kind of the new. That's where we stand on the on the Jesse Bates front. Uh, we had injury update, Jay. Kind of yeah. we kind of tapped through some guys yesterday. Yeah, um, starting with Logan Wilson, they, they talked about you know, his his labrum surgery and, and said it was. It was something he could have played another week had had there been a game after the Super Bowl. That the, the the injury it wasn't really. It, it happened on special teams in the Chargers game, December fifth, and then he took three weeks off and came back and played. And he didn't further injure it. He just played through it, and he he had it. They I think Zach and Duke both used the word predictive. We're having the surgery done now gives you a, a, a better estimation of, of when the timeline is for him to come back. They don't know if he's going to be back for OTAs yet, but it's it, it didn't sound, they didn't make it sound as serious as people might have thought when they show, saw him pop up on Instagram in a sling and he just had labrum surgery. He should be fine and ready to go for the start of the regular season, obviously, probably even training camp. But it, 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 it was not – they didn't make it sound as bad as people might have thought when you hear, oh, your starting middle linebacker had had 
off-season labrum surgery. Um, the other one, Joe Burrow, um, and, and both he and C.J. Uzama, the MCL sprains. Zach said it's just it's just rest. I mean, the report was already out there that he's not going to need surgery. Uh, he shows up on Instagram playing golf in Arizona, and that's what Zach said. They're free to – all. Rest doesn't mean sitting in bed all day and, and convalescing. It it means just not playing football. He's free to go travel and, and do the things he wants to do in life and play play golf. So I think that was an encouraging sign, too, that it's not something that, that he has to be on bed rest or, or stay home. And C.J., same way. I mean, he's, he's another guy that they've got to make a decision on uh, as a free agent. Um, didn't. Didn't re-injure it in the Super Bowl, but he was he was moving pretty gimpy after he got off the podium in that post-game press conference. You could tell he really gutted it out to play in that game, but not something that's going to prevent him from from being ready for the regular season, whether it's with the Bengals or another team. Yeah, and I, I think he'll be a, a pretty top priority for them. I, I they're going to want to bring CJ back. They do want to bring CJ back. Yeah, I, I think you know we know how much they value the locker room. And, like, I mean, look, you don't – how many times did we see that locker room this year with C.J. at the center of it? Mm-hmm. He's such a glue piece for them. And they don't really have a lot of answers at tight end. Now, there's answers out there, but they want to invest in their guys. And I, you, another thing Duke said yesterday was, look, we want to invest. We, we, have, a, uh, we have, you know, 46 guys in our contract. We had a long way to go. We, this is going to be a blend year. This isn't going to be like last year where they're looking for leadership and they're looking for guys with playoff experience mm-hmm. and they're looking for leaders to come in from out. They have the leaders now. Yep. They want to keep the core of leaders together. Insert C.J. Uzama as a key piece of that. Jesse Bates, yeah. key piece of that. Keep your core of this together. Let's ride this wave is sort of their philosophy. So you don't think C.J. Uzama is going to be at the top of that list? He is. Um, so I, I would think he will be one of the first guys they will go after along with the three techniques because they don't have any under contract, Larry Ogunjobi mm-hmm. and B.J. Hill. But I think when you're talking about keeping the core and leadership together, that's what they want to do. A question you asked that I loved yesterday, and we got Zach and Duke both to talk about it, was, okay, you got your culture now. You got your leaders now. How, how does that change the way you do approach free agency? It, are you not so focused on finding guys that have playoff experience or have, you know, been on these big stages or care, not character. You still want to have good character guys. but and, and at one point, Zach said, yeah, maybe now there is a guy who's 50-50 could tilt either way on a character side that you'd be a little bit more willing to take a chance on because you know you have such good core leadership here that you can handle that. The way they talked about the success they had on a lower level with guys they brought in midseason that had been discarded from other teams mm-hmm. having success. I thought that was interesting. Maybe you will, but they're still looking for the combo of both. It's still right. But maybe there's a little bit more of a lean where if they feel like they're not quite as full in the character bucket as they are in the talent bucket, knowing they already have it might open them up to, to bringing somebody in. Yeah, because a guy like that comes in, you, you fit in. You, you, you read the room, so to speak. And it, it, a guy, no one's going to come in. You, you, they're, I mean, they're not going to sign a sign a. Terrell Owens type guy that can be a, a locker room wrecker, but if you get a guy that maybe has a suspect, I don't even want to say suspect pass, but he's, if he's a 50-50 guy like that, then you are more willing to take a chance. It's it's not just that they have the they have an abundance of leaders. You, what you said was a great point. C.J. Uzama was not a captain last <laughs> year. 
But every one of those post-game videos, who was the one that was giving the speech and, and calling the team up? It was him. They, they've got so many of those guys now that they are in a great shape, in great shape as far as that goes. And you don't, you don't need to go get guys that have playoff experience because you've got everybody on your team that you're bringing back has four games of experience. Over and over again, you know, whether off the record or on just in general conversations, we heard what? The connectivity of the locker room. Mm-hmm. I mean, the clicks that existed in 16 to 18 are really however far back you want to go, really, of offense pointing at defense, defense pointing at offense, defensive linemen only hanging out together. and not. The connectivity across the locker room was such a big part of why they felt the chemistry was so special. C.J. Uzama is the number one per symbol of that because he is the guy that talks to everybody that – messes with Burrow, that messes with Chase, that screws with the defensive linemen, that's all, I mean, he is really a core symbol of of creating that, so the idea of not having him back, I think, is, um, I I would be really stunned if if he was not back, and I think they would be too. Um, Let's, we're here in Indy. <laughs> the, there's draft prospects. They all walk, a bunch of them walked by me earlier. The offensive linemen go tomorrow. Well, eyes on Tyler Linderbaum, right? Uh, yeah. Is he going to fall? Whatever that's going to look like. But uh, so let's talk a little bit generally about this draft as it hits the Bengals before we wrap up. Um, we're obviously going to have months, to, you know, to dive further into this. But for now, uh, let's let's give a broad brush of kind of what we're gathering here in Indy through a Bengals lens. A few things stand out to me. I'll start here. I think there is some spots where we're hearing they're raving about the depth of this draft, Mm -hmm. where the Bengals really need depth. So mid-rounds, early day two, whatever. You know, they've made such good hay in that third, fourth, fifth round um, over the years, and particularly recently. Where does that hit them this year? Tight end. Mm -hmm. It's a good tight end depth draft. It's a good safety depth draft. Uh, they're going to need something behind Bates and Bell. What does that look like? Um, wide receiver depth. Big three are great. Yeah. But I don't know what the hell's happening behind that. <laughs> and there's, you know, what are the odds that all of them are going to play damn near every game again? And that's such a key piece of who they are. Young receiver, another young receiver, when you have so many of them. You know, are you going to find the next Marvin Jones in round five are, or Mosa New in round three or whatever guys that you have been able to find? You, you don't have to be at the top of the draft if you're looking for even the next, <laughs> even the next Auden Tate, right? Yeah. You know, whatever. But guys that can come in and be a kind of exciting fourth or fifth receiver when, if somebody goes down. And there's so many receivers. like So I think those, to me, stick out as depth positions when we talk about you getting later into this draft, that really do s- seem to be a snug fit um, with the Bengals. Yeah, and I, I think of corner, too. I, they, they need they need a number two corner, but they need depth there as well. I mean, they just – Jalen Davis yesterday, but, but we don't know what's going to happen with Eli Apple. This is – really all the positions kind of fall in the same boat where they're, they're, they're better off depth-wise than they are – high end and again that's why trading back at 31 is such an attractive option because you're right they they have hit on those middle round picks really forever for, since duke's been running the draft board and if, if you can if you can add a bunch of pieces there 
going back to your philosophy, flood the market. Just get as many options as possible and let it sort itself out. But, yes, even if they bring back CJ, that tight end is an area where they're, they're going to need to add. I, I don't know that Drew Sample is going to be an answer when, when his contract comes up. Um, and wide receiver, too. I mean, they they brought back Trent Taylor, but he's he's he is what he is. He's a slot guy that can fill in if Tyler Boyd goes down and return punts. But you you could really see them going and getting a guy that, that could be, you know, one of those guys. Maybe not as good as Marvin Jones, but those guys are out there. Those those lots of mid round wide receivers lots and lots are there. And you've you've got a solid roster. Yes, they want to add depth, but you're not filling as tons of holes like they have been the last few years when the mantra's been you can't fix everything in one offseason. Now you don't have to fix everything. Now you've you've got one glaring hole, you get that addressed, and then you can start taking shots at other areas. Yeah, I definitely see a wide receiver happen. You mentioned corner. I'm glad you did. I, it's it's really because everyone talks about it. It's like the same thing as during the season because everybody talks about the offense. Nobody talks about the defense. Hmm. Everyone's talking about offensive line. Nobody's talking about corner. I mean, that is a, that is a big, massive spot. Yeah. They've got to get figured out. I like corner at 31. Like they have a history of drafting first-round corners. We know the importance of that. They need a guy. I mean, if you're looking for where you're looking for a guy to come in and start or compete with Eli Apple, um, if you re-sign him for whatever, hmm. uh, that's the spot. And, and you've seen a lot of names that are hanging around there in that late first, early second. Corners that are going to have a lot, of, a lot of talent, whatever you're looking for. I mean... I, I I point to that, and that almost feels better for me. In fact, you know what that feels like, Jay? Feels like a run passer boot to me. <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Run passer boot at thirty-one. Early calling our early shot. We've done this before, and I believe we've we've proved ourselves pretty good on some of these at the combine. Run passer boot at thirty-one. Offensive line. We'll just say any other position. Mm-hmm. Or trade back, run pass or boot it. Yeah, this, this was really good because it's the the value pick is any other position. That's you, there's just that's the volume pick. I love the idea of trading back. I, I think that would be a a good good option. You don't know until you get there and see who's available. There might be a player they're in love with and you can't trade back. But it's it happens so rarely that I, I can't. I can't run with that one. I'll, I'll run with any other position, I, just because it is the volume. I know they need offensive line, but you said it. They're gonna sign them. They're gonna sign at least two in free agency, so it frees them up to go a different direction. Like Duke said, when you're picking in that spot, you can target a specific need. And if you if you sign two starters in free agency, then all of a sudden corner becomes your biggest need. So I'll run with I'll run with any other position. I will pass on O line, and I'll, I'll boot trade, even though. If it was me, that, that might be the direction I would go right now sitting here. But it's just it happens so rarely that I, I, can't, I can't put that anywhere above a boot. I'll, I'll go I'll, – I'll agree with you. I'll say, I'll say the same thing. I, I really feel – I don't know. I just have a really strong gut of, of corner for this when you look at what's probably going to be out there and what they're going to need and what I don't think they're going to sign in free agency. I, I don't think – they're going to aggressively go after a corner. I, you know, not. I don't know what Eli Apple's going to turn into. 
I, I don't know how they're going to feel about it. I don't know that you can trust it. I, I, you know, I think if you're coming back and you have Cheeto, Eli Apple, Mike Hilton, and whatever else behind them, the Jalen Davises of the world. Socks and slides. Socks and slides. <laughs> I can tell you this. Trey Waynes and Vernon Hargraves and Darius Phillips ain't walking through that door anymore. The ship has sailed. The door's been lost. So- They're not yeah. allowed to walk they, through that they door. Have, they have asked him to turn in his playbook, his socks, and his slides. <laughs> okay? Because they're not going on the field on the, where the Bengals are on anymore. And so that's a lot of depth sitting out there. It's funny, I was thinking about, you know, the Bengals did not bring back Steve Jackson, yeah. their cornerbacks coach. They have Chuck Burks as the new cornerbacks coach. And I was kind of trying to figure that out in my head when they decided to make that move. I wonder why. And then I went through that list, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. Vernon Hargraves, Darius Phillips, and Trey Waynes all went completely sideways for this team. Yes. And when they could have used any of them. And, uh, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's part of what happened there. Um, and so, yeah, I just think corner's really big. So I'm going to say another position – what if we said offensive line, cornerback, any other position? Then does it change it for you? Because I would say, I might say corner over offensive line. I might go corner, O-line, any other position. And I know that's I, just 31. I don't he, he talked already about specific needs. I feel like those are going to be their two big needs in the first round. I'll say corner, O-line, any other position is my run pass group. I'm with you on that because the the any other position, even though that's the volume pick there, I just I can't see them going another direction. You, you, you talk maybe about, a three technique if depending on what happens with Ogan, yes, Joby, and Hill. True, if they if they can't sign either one of those guys or just one, you're almost even. Yeah, even just one, you're almost. If they don't sign either, then definitely you, your your hands almost forced. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I still if if you if you phrase it that way, I think I'd be with you. I'd, I'd run with corner, pass on O line, and boot any other position. I like it. Uh, all right, Jay. So sure, you don't want to do the bench press. I am positive. Okay. All right. <laughs> what about the forty? I, I, I will, even if nobody was here watching, I would not do a bench press. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't even want to see it myself. I feel like a lot of people here at this combine. I mean players, prospects, feel the same way as you do. <laughs> How many guys do we got to watch? I mean, the Billy Price torn picks. Exactly. We've seen this happen. Yep. Like, uh, enough. And people, like, how much do people, you can do it other times. I, I, I don't know, some of this stuff. How much does it relate, really? These guys are all strong. What, 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 what how does that relate remember to? Orlando, remember the Orlando Brown combine? When he, like, had the worst yeah. reps ever? And Marvin Lewis was like, yeah, I mean, some guys proved to us they don't blah, blah, blah. And so they passed on Orlando Brown in the third round, <laughs> and now they might be looking at him for like $16 million. Yeah. How many offensive line draft flub-ups do we need to see <laughs> from this team? Lord, that's a good way to end it. I tried to make everybody th- still bask in the glory of the Super Bowl run, but no, I'm going to continue to remind you, I guess, of all the offensive line draft misses. Uh, that that one we don't talk about very often. Though. No. Uh, and so, all right, uh, let's wrap it up. We will uh, we'll be back with you, of course, uh, next week. We all our coverage leading up, and emergency podcast season is upon us, Jay. Oh yes. I mean, it's free agent signing two weeks. Free agent signings could happen. We could see. I mean, but we any of their players could currently sign. Jesse yeah. Bates extension deadline next week. Um, so we've got all kinds of things. We'll be continue bringing the regular one podcast. But emergencies are always on deck. If you think it's emergency podcast worthy, always 
feel free to let us know. It's on Twitter. I know you will. Um, and I know that you all will send the jokes about the smallest thing. I'm not doing a Jalen Davis emergency <laughs> podcast. I like Jalen Davis. Very nice little story, uh, but not doing that. But anyway, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, from Indianapolis, uh, we will talk to you next time. We hear that podcast growling. Have a good one, everybody.